truths as we talk about the subject of wealth this morning. And I'm so glad that I'm not wealthy. I mean, you've ever said that before? I'm glad that I'm, I'm not wealthy. I mean, Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 19, 23, he says, I, it's hard for somebody basically that's rich to get into the kingdom of heaven. And we read that and we're like, glad I'm not that guy. Because I'm in America, the rich guys are Donald Trump. The rich guys are, you know, the guy that owns Facebook that we see in our news all the time. The rich guys are the, the Bill Gates. They're the top, you know, 1% of the American population. We look through the binoculars and we, we read scripture through, through the binoculars and we say, okay, I'm not rich compared to them. I'm not rich compared to her. And, and, and we compare ourselves with ourselves. And at the end of the day, the only person that loses that battle is you. And yet when I read the Bible, I've got to put down, I was, Mark Driscoll, I, I saw an interview this week and he was referencing this and it, it just reminded me of it again. He said, you've got to put down the binoculars and you've got to pick up the mirror when you read the word of God. Because the mirror will tell you, to be honest with ourselves, all of us are incredibly rich. We're incredibly rich. Don't look through your scriptures through through American Christianity. You've got to, the Bible wasn't rich to, written to Americans. It's written to everybody. And from a global perspective, I want to give you a snapshot of our region. Center County, State College, Pennsylvania, where the average household income is anywhere between $55,000 to $64,000. And so if you were to go, and I'll show you on the screen in a minute, because many of us, we see the rich guy as the other guy, but if you were to take a snapshot of our world today, this is you and this is me. A hundred people. The top 0.16%. Well, Zach, I don't make $55,000. What would happen if we were to take this number, which is the average household income in our state college area, let's just say we cut it in half. Where are we when it comes to the world's wealth? You'll see it on the screen. It'll help you feel much better. So we move from number one to number two. I'm not one to write a whole lot in my Bible. If you ever see me on my phone during service, just disclaimer, I'm not texting. I'm not, you know, reserving, you know, lunch reservations. I'm, I'm writing things down that I feel like the Lord is speaking to me, and I, I type those things. But some of you that are Bible writers, that I think would be certainly appropriate that if in Matthew chapter 19, verse 23, that if you were to just take and maybe scratch out this word rich, truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who is like Zach McDonald. Write your name to enter the kingdom of heaven. All of us are incredibly wealthy. So before you, you think or come to the conclusion that I, I'm just going to tell you that wealth is a horrible thing and, and you need to just give all of your, your money away, I want to tell you that I believe that God is a perfect heavenly father. He wants to bless you in, in every way, including, including your finances, including your finances. And yet it's so directly tied to our hearts You've got to wonder if at times God sees us in the top one, two percent of the world's wealth, and he's saying, what are my people 
doing with, with what I've entrusted to them because it's directly tied to our hearts. We can't escape that. And yet Solomon says so much about the subject of, of wealth and riches that we can only kind of scratch the surface uh, this morning. But before we do, this is more than just a money thing. Because when you talk about wealth and, and riches and possessions, I believe it's kind of all-encompassing. It's more than just your money. It's your, it's your resources. It's your opportunities. It's your, your talents and your abilities. There are a couple of things that I want you to see, two in particular, and then we'll close with communion. Number one is that wealth can be a wonderful thing. Now, if we had a 1,000 people from our community that were just standing all around and they heard a pastor say, wealth can be a wonderful thing. They're like, yep, that's exactly what I thought. He's just like every other person on TV. Give to get, life of lavish living. You know, the church is all about preying on the pockets of the vulnerable. You sow seeds, you, you get this massive increase and the church just kind of lives it up. And they're so quick and easy. They want to point the finger and just say, we're all... Like, you know, the extreme cases that we see in the news in our, in our world today. But I want to tell you that I really don't believe that there's not anything wrong inherently with money and resources. It's a perspective thing. But we see from Proverbs, if you turn to chapter 10 and verse 15. It says that the wealth of the rich is their fortress, the poverty of the poor, their destruction. That wealth, all of us are wealthy globally speaking, that it can give you and I a sense of security. And I believe that God as a wonderful, perfect, heavenly father wants you and I to have a sense of security as long as you don't lose the key, which is a sense of dependency. There's nothing wrong with, I believe, desiring a sense of security for your family. Think about it for those of you that have young kids or those of you that have grandkids. I mean, I want my kids at the end of the day to know, you know what? There's food on a table. There's a home over our heads. Mom and dad love you. We care for you. We're going to provide a, a sense of security. But, but on the other hand, I never want them at a young age to lose that sense of dependency. That's a, a healthy balance to have. That as we left the Spikes game last night, it's a wonderful thing for me to know that Amos has a sense of dependency on me for direction. That he's not going to go wander off, hopefully in the parking lot. He's not going to try to walk home, but he realizes I depend on my father for a sense of direction. So I want him to understand the balance of security and yet understand the balance of dependency and, and that it's a healthy thing. I'm not talking about the 23-year-old college student, you know, that's living in their parents' basement, rent-free, eating pizza and playing, you know, video games all day, every day. That's not the type of dependency. I'm, that's childish faith. The Bible calls you and I for, to, to childlike faith, where it's okay to say, you know what, I, I want a sense of security for my family, and yet you, you've got to keep the balance of, of depending on the Lord as well. Because if not, I, you know, many times the Lord has, has a way of allowing situations, circumstances, and things to happen, these moments in our lives to kind of draw that dependency back out of us. Because it's in the moments of the greatest need, it's in the moments of the greatest demand that you and I, when we rely, when we depend, when we surrender more and more in Jesus, that we find his greatest supply in our lives. 
want you to know it's okay to, to desire security for your family as you strive to get out of debt. You strive to spend less than you make, invent, invest the difference, and give generously, that you're able to give generously from a place of security. That when you have a good job and you're a good steward and manager and you have that sense of security, you're able, as you depend on God, to live generously and to bless others. Proverbs 19, verse 4 says that wealth may give you good friends, but poverty drives them away. And so Solomon's saying, you know what? You may actually, if you're wealthy, which all of us are, you may end up with more friendships out of this. And this isn't a guarantee. We've talked about relationships that quality doesn't always equal or quantity doesn't always equal quality in those relationships. But here's, here's where, where I want you to discern the difference in these relationships because you can read this verse and I think it can go one of, of two ways. There's the negative way, which is the obvious. You know, you see somebody that wins the lottery. You see somebody that inherits a, you know, a great deal of money and uh, people come out of the woodwork, you know. Remember me? You know, we used to sit in third grade, you know, best friends and... You know, I, I, I'm broke, you know, people, and, and you ever see these stories about people that win the lottery and, and just how, it, how, how many people just take incredible advantage of them. I've known a couple of wealthy people over the years that, you know, what happens is they're, they're so taken advantage of in these relationships that they, they feel like people actually want relationship from them, but when they get beyond the surface, it's not relationship, it's resources, and they've been hurt and they've been kind of rejected in those relationships to a degree that they, they insulate, they protect themselves because they've been hurt time and time again from people. But then on the flip side of this, this coin is, is the attraction to people that live generously. And I believe that as you and I, we strive to live generous lives financially, that, that there really is, a, is an attraction to that. That it's more than just flaunting, it's more than just being, you know, kind of obnoxious with our resources, but the generosity, I believe, attracts because I believe that God built in our hearts a desire for us to spend our lives on something, and it's more than just attaining money. But when, they, when people see uh, followers of Jesus that are extravagant uh, in their generosity, and it's more than just money, that there's an attraction to that. And I met a couple when I was in college, a, a very, very wealthy couple. I was a, a, one of my close friends that we did a lot of ministry together. His parents were involved in the real estate industry in the Boston area, and I learned a lot from this family. Uh, incredibly wealthy, and, and you probably would never know it uh, unless they invited you to one of their, their many homes. They, would, they had a crew that would bring a yacht from Florida all the way up to Boston, and they would use it for you know, a couple weeks and then have it sent all the way back. Just incredibly wealthy people. But as I scratched beyond the surface, not in like a nosy way, but in just spending time and getting to know them and being with them, they were known for just extravagant generosity. And many times, you know, they weren't able to put their finger that it was connected to this couple. But there were Christian organizations and schools and so forth that had unexpected massive needs that came up. Not your responsibility, just, just massive needs that would come up. And this couple would bless 
these organizations just in incredible ways so that they could focus on the people that they were called to minister to and not necessarily the, the chaos of these unexpected needs that had happened. I was with them a couple times. They would go into a restaurant and we would eat together and uh, they would pay for 40, 50, 60 people in the restaurant and the servers would say, you know what, that couple just wanted you to know that God blessed you today. No one would know. When I was thinking of one of the most uh, special moments in my, my life, the day that I proposed to Ashley, they said, we have the perfect place for you to do that. And they gave me uh, the keys to this private condo on this little private island outside of Boston. And they said, it's just going to be the most beautiful setting for you to propose to Ashley and have this surprise thing all set up. And uh, looking back on that experience, there's no monetary value that I could ever pay them for just providing the experience and the atmosphere and for that moment to take place. But they lived and gave extravagantly. And I'll tell you, when I was around them, there was something in my heart that was like, gosh, I want to be able to live and give generously like that. Just to see the impact and the difference that it made in people's lives, that there's an attraction to that. And and I believe it can be associated, not in the, as much the negative way, as much as it is as you and I live and we spend our lives, more than just our resources, but we spend our time and our energy and our emotion on serving and blessing other people, that there's a desire to be part of that. Ecclesiastes, another book that Solomon wrote in the Bible, says that, that wealth can be a wonderful thing, that it gives you enjoyment, actually. In verse 18 of chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes, it says, I've noticed one thing at least that is good. It is good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them and to accept their lot in life. It's a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health and to enjoy it. To be honest, you and I, as people that are wealthy, there are pleasures, there are opportunities that are enjoyable, and it's okay. It's okay to be able to spend money like yesterday and go buy, you know, $4 worth of Dippin' Dots at a Spikes game and just eat it because it's cold, it's hot, we're having fun. There's, it's okay as you work hard. that You're able to enjoy as long as it's kept in the perspective the healthy perspective, that God, I believe, wants the desire to bless you, to be a blessing, but I believe as a perfect father, he wants to bless you so, so that you realize that he's good at times. And it's okay that there's a level of enjoyment if you don't lose your satisfaction in him. You start being completely satisfied in wealth, money, and possessions, and you don't have that understanding the Lord has a way of allowing things in all of our lives to draw us closer back to him. It's okay to enjoy things in life, but you must be someone that can say, you know what, at the end of the day, I'm completely satisfied in him and in him alone. You say, well, Zach, you're saying a whole lot of good things about money. Let me tell you why wealth is a terribly, terrible thing, has the potential to be a terrible thing. And then we'll meet in the middle. Wait a minute, you just said it's a wonderful thing now. You're saying it's a terrible thing. Well, that's what I love about the book of Proverbs. You're like, 
And then he's like, <laughs> it's great, not so great, wonderful, a curse, good, not so good. We need the Holy Spirit to help us, don't we? It's not the most important thing in this life. Wealth is a wonderful thing. It's a blessing. But it's not the most important thing. Here's what, what he says in, in Proverbs 16, 16. How much better, how much better to get wisdom than gold? How much better to get wisdom and gold? So what does Solomon know about gold? Well, he knows a little bit. I mean, 40-year reign. If you turn to 1 Kings chapter 14, you'll see that every year he received 666 talents just in kind of general revenue. You multiply that over 40 years, it's approximately $750 million. It goes on to say that, that he had, the large shields in, in, in 1 Kings were hammered with with gold. Gold went in every shield. Goes on to say that there was a great throne that was covered with ivory and fine gold. Twelve lion statues were part of that. Nothing like it had ever been made in the kingdom. All of the goblets in his home were made of fine gold. Nothing was made of silver because that was like considered cheap. It was considered of little value. He had a fleet of trading ships uh, and once every three years, they would all come back carrying gold, silver, ivory. And the Bible said apes and baboons because that's just what you do when you're rich. You know, you get tigers, apes, baboons, and what else do you do, you know? He accumulated chariots, horses, 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses. He was incredibly wealthy. Most scholars believe his net worth was well over $100 billion. Well over $100 billion. And yet here he's saying, wisdom is better than gold. Wisdom is, is better than gold. Proverbs 16, 8, it says it's better to have little with godliness than riches with and dishonesty. Billy Graham once said it this way. He said, when wealth is lost, nothing is lost. When health is lost, something is lost. When character is lost, everything's lost. And so Solomon does kind of a good, good job in putting our wealth and our riches in perspective. He talks about the fear of God in Proverbs fifteen fifteen. He says, it's better to have little with the fear of the Lord than great treasures and inner turmoil. I love the way the New Living Translation version of the Bible says this. It says in Proverbs 15, 16, it says, A bowl of vegetables with someone you love is better than steak with someone that you hate. And so he's saying, you have what you have, but you've got to put it in perspective. It comes down to perspective. And the conclusion is you, you kind of break apart the verses from Solomon. Is he's simply saying money is a great servant, an absolutely terrible master. That our wealth is designed to be a servant. That you and I are, 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 are to use it to serve and to bless others. But when it becomes master in our lives, it's a, it's a very dangerous thing. We make wealth more important than it should be. 
that we find our value in what we, we have, not who we are. I want you to, to listen closely because virtually everything in our culture will contradict this statement. You cannot, as a follower of Jesus, allow yourself to believe that your worth and your value are the same thing. Our culture wants to, to bring those two things together. That what you have is who you are. You believe that as a Christian, you'll be in the endless pursuit of attaining more. Because to you, it's the endless pursuit of value, significance, purpose. The Bible says that you and I are, are valued by God. You can't blame people that are outside of relationship with Jesus that don't have a, a biblical worldview. They just want to do their absolute best to climb the ladder of success. Why would you, why would you blame them? Do everything you can to treat this life as if it's the only heaven you'll ever know because the reality is that people outside relationship with Jesus, that's the truth. So why would you... Why would we point the finger? Why would we blame them, pick up the binoculars and say, what's wrong with people? They're spending their lives. They're lying, they're cheating, they're deceiving in virtually every layer of society. This endless pursuit is like a treadmill going nowhere and it's just more, 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 more. Because this earth is the only heaven they're ever going to know. So don't blame them. But you and I, as followers of Jesus, if we have that same philosophy, we're, we're absolutely deceiving ourselves. We're absolutely deceiving ourselves. It's not the most important thing. That as Christians, I was writing this down this week online, that you and I, we've got to get to the, to the place that we're absolutely convinced, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the gospel in itself... The simplicity of the gospel has the ability to break the grip, the power, the stronghold of sin in people's lives. If we don't believe that, we're going to be on a continual cycle of intimidation and frustration with people that we see that are loved by God, they're valued by God, they're created in his image in every layer of society, and yet they're rejecting the truth. We've got to believe the simplicity of the gospel is the solution to that. And that you and I are the messengers that carry the gospel and the power within. That the world's waiting, not as Leonard Ravenhill said, not for, for a new uh, you know, word. or He's not waiting for a new definition of Christianity. They're waiting for a new demonstration that money is a great servant, but it's a terrible master. This is the gospel. It's the, it's the message that we carry that money is a resource, but you and I have relationship with the God who is the source of all things. And our wealth and our riches and our pursuit after those things pale in comparison to relationship with him. Wealth can be a terrible thing because it can rob you and I, if you're not careful, of your trusting God. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, trust your money and you'll go down. But the godly flourish like leaves in spring. Proverbs 39, for if I grow rich, I may deny you. And say, who is the Lord? That we've got to guard and we've got to protect our hearts as all of us are so incredibly wealthy and blessed. 
that we don't lose this sense of dependency and say, well, God, why pray for our daily bread if I can own the bakery? He wants us. He desires us. And this never became more real to me than uh, several years ago when I was in L.A. And I had this uh, just neat opportunity to be with some ministry leaders and travel in L.A. And in 10 days, we did ministry at Skid Row. It's a community of 5,000 homeless people. They just kind of live together, and then they get kicked out of the area. They move somewhere else. And, you know, we were with them for a couple days. We were in the projects where you've got the nice cars, the satellite dishes, and the homes that are just absolutely in shambles. And then they took us to this neighborhood of these incredibly affluent people. And they said... I think this had everything to do with us and not these people. I felt that way after we left. But we're going to these, you know, million, million, half-dollar homes, and we're knocking on the doors, and we're inviting them to this block party that the church was doing. It was the L.A. Dream Center with uh, Matthew Barnett. So we're going to these amazing homes, and we're knocking. And uh, very few people would even open the door. They would listen. They wouldn't need, and, and a part of it was they said, you know what, why don't you just ask if there's anything we can pray for you about or with you about. And uh, door after door after door, hi, how you doing? Bye. You know, it's just kind of like, get out of here. And one person uh, asked for prayer because he needed something and uh, needed something from God. But I remember leaving, and the Lord checked my attitude because I'm like, why are, we, why are we even in this neighborhood? Why are you, this ministry, wasting our time? And then we leave, and the Lord was saying, because these people need me more than, more than anyone. They just don't know it. They've placed their dependency, their, their trust, and their faith in themselves and their resources, and yet they, they don't know what they're really missing. Wealth can be a terrible thing because it can lead to sin. I mean, much of sin's root is, is rooted in a desire for, the, for money, which is why the Bible says that the love of money is what? It's the root of all kinds of evil. And yet this is misquoted. I mean, I've heard people, you know, they say that, and, and, and the reality is you can have $2 million in your checking account and have more of a pure heart before God than somebody that has 50 dollars in their checking account. It doesn't have anything to do with amounts as much as it has to do with the condition of our heart. The desire and the unhealthy, the pursuit and the love of, of it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. Randy Alcorn in his book, Money, Possessions and Eternity, says this. Abundance isn't God's provision for me to live in luxury. It's his provision to, for me to help others live. That God entrusts me with his money, not to build my kingdom on earth. We're pretty good at that. But to build his kingdom in heaven. God comes right out and says why he gives us more money than we need. It's not so that we can find uh, more and more ways to spend it. It's not so that we can indulge ourselves and spoil our children. He said in another area, he talks about child abuse related to spoiling our children financially. He said it's an abuse that no one ever talks about. He said, it's not so that we can insulate ourselves from needing God's provision. It's so that we can give generously. What he's saying is that as God entrusts more and more to me, 
that instead of the pursuit, I believe this is the love of money, instead of the, the, the pursuit of kind of the, the endless increase in our standard of living that we say, God, as you bless me, as I'm a good steward of that which you've entrusted me, would you increase my standard, not of living, but would you increase it of giving? That all of us reach a point in our lives that we cap off our standard of living. It's a healthy thing to do because if you don't, everything in our culture is going to say more, 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 more. And you say, God, as you entrust it to me, Lord, I want to invest. I want to bless. I want to increase my, my standard of, of giving in every way. And then finally, it's a terrible thing because it will never truly fulfill you. It has absolutely no impact on eternity. Wealth simply fulfills your temporal needs. Proverbs 11, 4 says, Riches won't help anybody on the day of judgment, but right living will save you from death. And yet Matthew Henry, the great biblical scholar, he says this. He says that the riches we impart is the wealth we will retain. That the riches that we impart is the the wealth that we shall attain. As the worship team gets ready to come back. Proverbs 23, 4 through 5 says, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Don't wear yourself out. Be wise enough to know when to quit because in the blink of an eye, wealth disappears. And here's the gospel. This is so incredibly important to us. That so many that are wealthy, all of us are wealthy, that are wealthy in the endless pursuit of wealth are absolutely miserable because they'll never have enough. You ever been there before? Let's just be honest with each other. The if I hads, God, if I had enough money to get myself out of debt, I would be satisfied, I would be happy. I would be fulfilled. Lord, if I had a job that paid enough so that my spouse didn't have to work, that's all that I want. I just want a job where my spouse doesn't have to work. If I get to that place, Lord, I'll be content. I'll be satisfied. I'll, I'll be fulfilled. Lord, if I, if I had X amount in my checking, if I had X amount in my savings, if I get to the point where I have X amount of investments, Lord, I promise at that point I'll take a deep breath, I'll live generously, I'll give generously, if I had, if I had, if I had. And then the Lord was challenging me, saying, Zach, when's the last time you said, Jesus, if I just had enough of you, Lord, if I just had more of you, Lord, more of your presence, more of your power in my life, if I had just more of you, Lord, would I be able to be completely satisfied in you because this the good news is the gospel is to those people that are lost either in this room you don't have relationship with Jesus I'm telling you this morning you know what God desires so much for you to begin to realize that your wealth and your riches and your resources and your value are not the same thing For those that bought into the world system that said that they are. That the good news of the gospel 
is that you and I learn the secret of being content in what we have. Wealth is a wonderful thing. If we're not careful, it can be a terrible thing, but being content is the best thing. And the good news of the gospel is there is a God that loves his creation and values them. They're created in his image. That this God with the same equality and desire and passion wants to pursue after Billy Graham as much as he wants to pursue after Bruce Jenner. Because everybody in our community, rich, poor, everyone in between, in the eyes of God, we're created in his image, we're loved and we're valued by him. The homosexual, the heterosexual, the affluent rich kid that's sent to State College, Pennsylvania to get an education is as loved and valued as God, by God, as the prostitute that's a result of her circumstances in the hidden cities in our world today. The good news of the gospel is that our wealth and our riches and our resources are disconnected to God's value of our lives. Would you close your eyes with me this morning? And we're going to prepare for communion. But as I was thinking about this, that Jesus came, that he lived and he died for you and for me. That he sacrificed all, gave all, surrendered all so that you and I have access to God through relationship with him. So that every person in this room, in our community, around our world today has the opportunity to know that there's a God that loves and values them and it's disconnected from their wealth, their possessions, their resources. So I was just thinking of communion in Jesus this morning as he was, he was on that cross, his arms stretched to the right and to the left. I almost just felt like the Lord saying, stretched out this much. Can you just be satisfied in me? Can you be satisfied in what Jesus has done on our behalf? That through him we have access to all that we we need really the bible says that he'll he'll give us what we need unfortunately he doesn't say our wants and our desires but he knows what's best for you he knows what's best for me can we be satisfied in him and him alone today we're going to begin to distribute communion this morning as the worship team just begins singing about jesus i believe that as we prepare to receive communion today the lord's just saying would you be satisfied in me this morning? Would you learn, like the Bible says, the secret of being content in every area, in every season of your life as you find your satisfaction in Jesus this morning? Would you receive the elements today? And you can just hold them for a few moments. We, we don't necessarily, we're not a congregation that believes you have to be part of this church to receive communion, but we believe that you need to be part of the family of God through relationship with Jesus. And maybe you're here today, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. 
want to encourage you in just a minute. Grab a cup and, and a bread, and we're going to pray together. And I believe today's the day that you're going to enter into relationship with Jesus and find satisfaction in him. Would you receive those elements? Just hold on to those for a few moments before we close today. Oh, 